In Jesus' name, just thank you, Father, we can honor you this day. We can honor you as the day of resurrection, the power of the resurrection, of bringing life back to, to our Savior that gave his life for us. So thank you, Father, for this day. I thank you for the Spirit of God living in us today and bringing forth words that are truth, words that are powerful, words that are transforming, words that will change all of our life even this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to go run through some things today and bring some word into this. There's a lot of scripture, but I'll whiz through it. But this is Resurrection Day. You know, interestingly enough, if you don't know it already, Easter really wasn't when he arose. Easter is a holiday that we out of custom celebrate in, in America, and it's just fine. I know some people get strung out about that, but, you know, I'm pretty relaxed about it. If, some, if custom helps us bring a reminder to our nation that Jesus did was resurrected and arose for us, that's good enough for me. And uh, so we'll celebrate it. We're not worshiping any Easter bunnies or anything like that. It's, a, it's, a, it's casual and it's fine. You know, we could argue a lot of different things, but the bottom line is it's, it's a day that we can have a remembrance of something that, that really... I want to start out in Philippians. It's a day that we can bring back truth. Honestly, just to get the historical facts, he was actually crucified on Wednesday. He was had to be gone three days and three nights. So he was, he was uh, released from the grave on the first day of the third day. There's a band out there, a Christian band called Third Day. <laughs> so that's where they came from. So if you get that right, and I'll hit a couple of scriptures along the way, but he was gone on Wednesday, and then he was resurrected at daylight on the first day of the Jewish calendar, which is Saturday. And uh, again, it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter that what matters is he died for you and me, and he rose again. He was three days, which was the prophetic part about it. Now, in Philippians two, verse five, if you're looking and not, but anyway, write this down. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now, this morning I won't go back into a lot of review, but the reality of this scripture says Jesus walked as a man. Now, a lot of people, you know, and they say, well, he was both man and he was both God. He was man with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's why he set this as a pattern. Everything he did was a pattern for us to know. And that we, we can just be men, but led by the Spirit of the living God, we can do all things that he did. He said, I do all things that I did because I go to be with the Father. Did he not say that? So it's important to understand this, but at the same time, there came a time when he had to fulfill something that was begun a long time ago. There was a time when, when Adam had sinned had committed what we sometimes refer to as high treason. He'd given allegiance to the evil one, the devil, which was a sin against all of us. And since he did that, uh, Satan became the god of this world. It says so many places in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 5, 4, somewhere in there, it declares it specifically. We talked about this last Sunday. But at any rate, he gave place to sin. Now, the interesting thing about sinners is 
a lot of times when we're thinking of salvation and we hear it talked about, we think that, that to ask Jesus to come into our life to forgive our sins, a lot of times people say, well, I haven't sinned that much. Well, maybe you haven't. But there was a sin that was on man since Adam that has to be gotten rid of. And that's the, the powerful main reason that Jesus gave his life for us. Because there had to be in Hebrews, in Hebrews 9.22, not that you all have to turn there, but in Hebrews 9.22 it says, talking about the tabernacle, talking about the old law. In verse 21, then likewise the sprinkled in blood, both the tabernacle and, and the vessels of the ministry, and according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. So there was a standard set then, and of course they had to do it once a year for your sins. The high priest once a year could enter, enter and ask for remission for your sins if you were Jewish. So then in verse 23 it says, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than before. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but put into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God itself. Verse 25, Not that he should offer himself often as the priests. Okay, the priests had to do it often, every year. He didn't have to do that, but he had to do it once. And the key scripture here is verse 27, first of all. Well, let me back up. 26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Why did he sacrifice himself? To put away this sin. In verse 27, as it is appointed to men to die once, but after this the judgment. He was setting a pattern. In verse 28, so Christ has offered, was offered once to bear the sins of many. Everybody say, thank God. Thank God, thank God he bore my sins. Amen. So he was offered once. To bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. He doesn't have to keep dying. And you don't have to die, because he took your place. But he shed real blood. Now, you know, we had a movie here, but you, there's many movies coming out now that are quite accurate on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you watch those, they're quite graphic. But they need to be graphic. Because this wasn't any game. I mean, what they did to this man was everything but killing to get him up on that cross. I mean, I don't know how he stayed alive, but I know he stayed alive because he couldn't die until he hit that cross. And then just a little fact that you may or may not know is they didn't kill him then. He gave his own life. Now that's where you see, you know, you see depictions on uh, videos and so on because they did hate him. They wanted him dead. The, the Satan wanted him dead because, you know, the devil is alive and well in case you don't know that. He's not a fig, figment of somebody's imagination. He's, he's out along with a lot of other dark things. Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, flies that, that, that spirits of darkness. Now we aren't going to concentrate on those, but 
at the same time. They're everywhere. They wanted him dead. They sensed, Satan sensed, that if he didn't kill Jesus, he'd lose his authority and title as God of this world. He felt if he could kill him, he could retain his title and he could be, he could be the big dude forever. Amen? Is that how we'd look at it? He'd be the king forever. So, yeah, he's desperate. He was desperate. So they contrived things, you know, they contrived it really through the, the Roman government, the fear that they would, they would come in and take over and they'd do things to the Jews if the Jews didn't kill him and so on and so forth. You, that's all things. But it's important to know this. It's important to know there was a reason for it. It just wasn't something that God contrived just for a little exercise. God, through Jesus, was doing everything he could to redeem his people and restore what he'd planned in the Garden of Eden originally. He'd planned for his people to be in fellowship forever, live in a beautiful earth called the Garden of Eden at that time, and something else, that was his plan. And of course, it was interrupted. God wanted to redeem that. Now, we'll move on a little bit here. Let's go to Ephesians because now we've gotten through that and I've not spent a lot of time on the actual crucifixion. This is Resurrection Day, but I wanted a little background to that in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 8 through 9 said, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And then verse 9 says, He ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended? into the lower parts of the earth. And there's a likeness that Jesus talked about himself in Matthew, uh, about uh, Jonah being swallowed by a fish. And he remained in that fish for three days and three nights. And so Jesus was trying to tell everybody in, in that way that he was going to be, that Jonah had been a type and shadow of what Jesus would do. He'd be gone three days and three nights and he'd be somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but his body was still in the in the grave. Now, this is all historical fact. I mean, they've dug up all this stuff. And so I think the thing that brought me into the gospel was reading some material and finding out that this is all historically true. You know, it was proven to me by history. Of course, you know, after that, when you realize this is real, then you realize Jesus was real. And then you realize, hey, maybe maybe if this all everything they're saying is right, I, be, I better make him my Lord right now. I want to get in on this deal, right? It's a good deal. You want in on it, don't you not? <laughs> Especially if you think maybe you've messed up in life and you're not perfect and you need some help. And you say, well, you know, uh, I guess I'm not perfect. You know, I must have sinned somewhere in my life. And, and of course, most people say, geez, I, I, I did that. I did that. Golly, uh, how could I ever be forgiven for that? And Jesus said easily, it's easy. As many as call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They'll be brought into God's, God's care. So he had to first descend. Now here's, a, here's another thing. In, in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20, it said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now this is down in the bowels, bowels of the earth. That time that he was behind that stone wrapped up in grave clothes, he was, he was down, his spirit and his soul were down literally in hell. And by whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, 
when once the divine suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared and a few, that is, eight souls were saved through the water. So he's retrieving people and he said he was releasing captives. You know, there were old saints that had died long before they knew that you could be born again. So he was retrieving those, many of those. There were righteous people that loved God. There's always been people that love God, even, even through all the stuff and all the lies and all the deceptions and, and all the options that there are. There always have been people. And he was busy down there, and he was also busy doing something else. He was in a battle. He was in a battle for many things. And Revelation 1.18 declares that in that battle and that, and that struggle, he secured from Satan the keys to death and hell. Bible declares, death, where is thy sting? Jesus took away that sting. Amen? He was busy in those three days. He was busy. And he knew what all he had to do. And we will probably never understand everything that he must have been doing down there. But at the same time, he knew he had a clock that was ticking too. In three days, he had to appear back again. But I want to say this. You know... We talk about having faith. If you really picture Jesus of who he was as the son of man, do you know how much faith he would have had? Talks about him uh, in the garden, you know, and uh, praying and, and sweating tears. And I mean, he realized that as a man, he was going to endure that crucifixion. He knew it. He knew it was going to hurt. Like one, one uh, person I heard quoted lately said, well, I'm not afraid to die. I just hope it doesn't hurt. Well, that sounds funny, doesn't it? But if we ever got a conception of how that would have been with every bone in his body sticking out of the flesh, and, and just beaten, 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 and then... Uh, and, and of course, so I say that to, to bring about not only appreciation for what he did, but in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And again, Revelation says that that's what he got done. That's only a glimpse, a mere glimpse. But I like to bring it into the reality of it. I mean, the reality of all this set me free at one time in my life from so many things. Have I ever looked back? Never. When, it, when they said Jesus died for me, I had, no, I had no idea what it meant that he rose at that time. I didn't know any of that stuff. But I knew there was freedom. That blood that he bled, I understood it, that it set me free and took care of all that sin. Whether it was the original sin of Adam or the sins that I'd done, it didn't matter to me. I was free of all that. Okay? Because that's what he did for the remission of sins. But he only had to die once. We don't have to kill him again, do we? Or ourselves. Or wound ourselves. You know, religion does dumb things with people. They want to be holy and they'll go out and injure themselves. You know, they'll cut themselves and they do all these things. But, you know, hey, 
It's been taken care of, <laughs> right? Well, now, here we go on John 20, verse 1. Now, all of a sudden, it's Saturday morning. We've been through this. We've been down there. He's done a lot of different things, things we won't ever understand, but it doesn't matter if we understand them right away or not. We just accept it because the Bible says so. It is written. Now, on John 20, verse 1, it says, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Now if you picture this, there was a stone that took a lot of men to roll into that place. There were soldiers there to guard that thing so nobody could touch it. And here she comes running up there and that stone rolled away and the guards are disappeared they're also laid out i don't know what what happened to them they were gone somebody had kicked their whatever's so she said they have taken away the lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they had laid him they thought she thought that the soldiers had taken his body peter therefore went out and the other disciples and were going to the tomb so they both ran together and the other disciples outran peter and came to the tomb first you got to know there's a lot of excitement here Peter was pretty fast, but he outran him, right? And he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not tied, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Do you know what that meant? Anybody know what that meant? It was a custom. If the master was dining with the servants. And the master got up and left the table. If he wasn't coming back, he just took his handkerchief and just threw it over somewhere. If he was coming back, he folded it up neatly and placed it in a particular place. So this is detail that's in the scripture. Then the other disciple who came in to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed, for as they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their homes. Verse 20, uh, excuse me, 17 in verse chapter 20, Jesus said to her, <laughs> okay, uh, let me back up to 15 in that chapter. Well, uh, I'll start in 11. Just, just stay with me on this. Verse 11, And Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Can you imagine? Start imagining that. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Now, you'd think that would be a ghost, (laughs) wouldn't you? (laughs) But anyway, she supposed him to be a gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, 
in my God and your God. Now this was the Saturday morning. This was at daylight. She didn't know him because she didn't expect him to walk up there. And he probably didn't look very familiar. Because even though he's been in the tomb, he's still all beat to pieces. Now his soul and spirit had been down in fighting a battle in the bowels of the earth. But his body was torn up like he'd been through Brussels Airport on Tuesday morning. That's why. I've, I've known people that were bad wrecks. I didn't know them right away either when I saw them because they were beat up. But he said, don't touch me. I've got to go to my father. Well, you know, just for your own uh, information, you know, a lot of people believe in the rapture of the church. I believe in the rapture of the church. Because there's already been other raptures. Enoch went direct to heaven. Elijah. Now, at this place right here, Jesus is, he, all, he, he's, a, he's a resuscitated man, okay, more or less. He's a resurrected individual. He's still got his earthly body. And if you got into a lot of study about this, he had to have an earthly body to do what he did. So here he is. He's, don't touch me. So the interesting thing about it is, in verse uh, 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, then he had spoken these things to her. Now, verse 19, this is interesting. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, that's Saturday for the Jews, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So, Saturday morning, he was resurrected and she saw him. He said, I've got to go to the Father. Why did he go to the Father? Because he had to receive a glorified body. The rapture of the church, and there's so much scripture. I've found more as I've gone along to prove that there's going to be a time. If you're a born again child of God, you've accepted the blood, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's going to be a time, and it could be in our lifetime, when we will go directly up to the Father. And at that same time, it'll be the same thing that Jesus did. You'll receive a glorified body. Everybody say, I've been knowing that. Well, it's, it's quite interesting, and a lot of people say, well, I don't believe in the rapture, but when you already realize there's already been several raptures, maybe more than we don't even know, and we'll know more as time goes on, but it's no big deal. It's no big deal for God to come along and take us up to be with him, glorify our bodies. And then, of course, you know the other thing about it, it's kind of cool. God is glorified by it. Now, you've got to think about this. In the morning, he's all damaged. said, I've got to go up to see my father. Well, how far away is heaven? Well, where the, where our, the creator lives, long ways up there. If you're going to take the fastest jet we have, it's going to probably take you about a million years to get there and back. I don't know. I'm just throwing out numbers. I have no idea. Well, he's back that night. So that's space travel, right? Huh? Yeah, my dad's been a pilot for how many? 70, 80 years? I don't know. He's awful old. <laughs> 70 years? He's been a pilot for 70 years. He's never flown an airplane that fast to go to heaven and back, be back that night. That's like saying, hey, I'll, hey, I'll be right back for dinner, right? Hey, what did he do? Came back and ate with him. Glorified body. Proves that in our glorified body, we'll have flesh and bone too. Are we getting anywhere? This is kind of fun, isn't it, when you really think about it? It is kind of fun. 
because you see a lot of things that, that took place here. He died for you, took care of that death thing. You know, I've got a good friend. I'll just tell this story right now, and I won't mention his name, even though my father's in here today and would know this man very well. But I have a very, very good friend who a week ago today sent me a text message and said, Gary, I'm going to Brussels. I want you to pray for me. Well, it's not unusual for me to pray for people or to pray for this man, and God's used me in that capacity, uh, with, particularly with him over the years. So I prayed for some things. I don't remember all of it. It's in a text somewhere, but basically it's safety and, and those kinds of things, protection, because he's going into foreign soil. Tuesday morning, literally all hell broke loose in Brussels Airport. Well, right away I'm thinking of my friend. He's, he's there. I wonder if he's at the airport. I wonder if he got there early. I, I don't know. I tried to call him on a cell, and of course you can't call Europe on your cell, and, and you know I realized that. So I used Skype. Some of you know what Skype is. And I typed a message to him. I said, where are you at right now? And a little while later, here came Skype back. He says, I'm in Brussels. I was at the airport when it exploded. And so later on that afternoon, Sandy and I were able to talk to him by Skype because now he's, he's gotten, he went there on a business meeting, and by now he's set up with his Skype or something, however he does it when he's away. And we were able to talk to him. And here's what he told me. He'd gotten into the airport, retrieving his baggage. He was meeting an, another gentleman there uh, on business. At, at a certain point, he was under a floor. And he said, at a certain point, in about five seconds, he was under this floor and about five seconds later, he walked through a doorway and those bombs went off. That whole floor came down. He said, Gary, it was a mess. It took him four hours to find his associate. Now, there's another story about my friend, as long as we're on it. Approximately ten years ago, he died in an ambulance. He had a heart attack. He was a believer. His wife called me. Gary, you've got to pray for him. He's... You know, it's a long story, but he's, he died in the ambulance at least twice. I'd have to ask him if it was two or three times. And, of course, they'd give him nitro and all that stuff. In that time, he died. And he told me later, he said, Gary, I will tell you this, I'm no longer afraid of death. He said, I saw into heaven. He said, I was there. I, there was so much peace. He said, I no longer have any fear of dying. And you've met others, maybe you've heard stories, but this man I'm very close to, very close to him. He stays close to me, too, because he knows my prayers work. <laughs> I mean, that's not bragging about me. It, trust me, it's not. I mean, it's an obligation we have to pray for one another and so on and so forth. And, and those are just some things that when we see that death, there is no sting. And we think about this eternal life business, you know, there's, there's three deaths. You know that, don't you? There's a physical death where your body just dies, but the spirit and the soul live. There's a spiritual death, which is what people walk around if they don't know Jesus. You know, and they might be perfect in their life. They may have done something for so many people, may all these things, but if they've not accepted the blood of Jesus Christ, they're still spiritually dead or separated from God. And then there's 
total death, whatever that's called, uh, that's where, uh, you know, you're dead, dead, and you forgot Jesus, and you forgot God, and you just died, and so there you are. But, you know, the sad thing about it for people that commit suicide, and this isn't part of the subject today, but their spirit and soul keep living too. You know, people that end it all think they are ending it all, but they just, they're not ending anything because everybody really has eternal life up until, you know, the thousand years and all those kind of things, the lake of fire and all those things. So if you ever talk to anybody that's contemplating suicide, just tell them, look, you're not going to end anything. You just started something you don't want to. You don't want to go there, <laughs> right? Well, I don't mean that to be a little downer, but, you know, it's kind of interesting when you really dive into these things. Now, here's an interesting thing, too, as we go along, and, and this will close out probably pretty soon with this. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 9, this is Paul speaking about it. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Verse 3, For I delivered you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day, according to Scripture, and was seen by Cephas, which is also Peter, and then by the twelve. After that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain at present, but some are fallen asleep. In Paul's day, there were several still alive. Not today. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I'm the least of the apostles, who I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the, anyway, persecuted the church of God. So you see, there were so many witnesses Recorded history, 40 days he stayed here from the time he was resurrected. I don't know what all he did in those 40 days. I've never really paid a lot of attention to it. Some say he, he went other places and preached to uh, certain people in other countries. I don't know. It's possible. I don't know what he did in those 40 days, but I know one thing. He had a glorified body go anywhere he wanted to, right? He's the Lord. Right? <laughs> if you want to go back and forth. You know, uh, let, let's get a little deeper into this for the fun of it. Okay, rapture of the church. We're going along someday. We believe in all this stuff. And we're, we have no doubt we're Christians. We've asked. We're under the blood. We're saved by His grace, by the blood of Jesus. And, and the time clock runs out and He pulls us out of here. Boom! Everybody that believes in Him going to heaven directly. Do you know at that point we get glorified bodies? And, you know, they talk about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly things. The cool thing about it, the fun thing about it is we'll be able to transport back and forth, too. Can you imagine? We don't need jets anymore. We don't need spaceships. Are we not created in His likeness? Are we not? Uh, he was the firstborn from the dead. Aren't we the second, third, fourth, ten millionth, whatever it is? See, we're going to walk in all that same stuff. That's worth hanging around for, isn't it? Huh? Isn't that worth fanging around for? But it's also worth really seeing how powerful this gospel is and how real it is. And if I've got any more notes, I could get boring, but I don't want to get boring. I just want us to digest today what our own lives, where they're at, and 
And how exciting it is to have so much hope for the future. You know, and we go out here and some of you, you know, we're entangled in certain things today in business and politics and all that stuff. And sometimes I just like to say, you know what? I'm just so thankful that I have a Lord that loves me, set me free. And, and a lot of this stuff we worry about today is just all going to fade away like nothing. You know, I mean, if you live as long as I have and my, uh, my dad here, he's seen a lot of things come and go in his lifetime. Some things that really seemed important at that time. And, and all of a sudden they don't matter anymore. We've all had that. Things we really got strung out about, really upset about, you know, might even get a little stomach acid, get ulcers over some things. For what? No, we've got to think about the joy that we've been set free from all those things. Sometimes it's just good to back off, go somewhere, seek the Lord, just enjoy Him. You know, don't let any of this heavy stuff of this world poke us down and make us worry. You know, we're, it's good to fight for what He's given us. I'd like to be an example of that, you know. I, I don't want to be so, what is, well, uh, so spiritual that I'm no earthly good. But I don't want to be so earthly that I'm no spiritual good either. <laughs> I want to keep a reality who I am, who people are, and how tender Jesus is for us and how tender we need to be to others. How we need to look through people, see their hearts. Rather than judge them for, well, they, they're this or they're that. But we take about all this price that was paid for you and me. Isn't it neat to be free? Even if it rhymed, I didn't intend on it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Bible says, as many call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans, uh, I'll read it. I know it. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's quite clear. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We talk a lot about confessions here. We've been teaching faith and and what we say out of our mouth and how it can govern our lives and how it can set places in our life. What we say, what we say. We found out with joy what he feared came upon him. We found out a lot of truths here. But the bottom line is the, the mouth is what declares who you are. The mouth, what you say. You've got to say, if you confess with your mouth, therefore I would say, everybody say this with me. I confess. Come on, everybody. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, and I believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, and I believe I'm saved. Amen. Verse 11 says, Whoever believes on Him shall not, him shall not be put to shame. I Just as a personal testimony, a lot of people ridiculed me when I made a big step toward Jesus Christ. I was ridiculed, I was made fun of, I was talked about. But that scripture was always there for me. And he's there for you. It's a promise. When you take a stand for the Lord, it's a promise you'll never be ashamed. Aren't you glad about that? Praise the Lord.
Sandy, do you have a video for us? I just want to stay in presence of the Lord right now for a minute.